Hello and welcome back to Happy Porch Radio Season 6. In this season, we're talking about the circular economy across the continent of Africa. And today, I'm delighted to be joined by Julia Venn, who is the co-founder of Foodwise. Foodwise fights against food waste and food insecurity by helping businesses repurpose their unsold food in order to help people in need. Emily, I really enjoyed the conversation with Julia today. There were several things that stood out for me. But one of them we were talking about just there is how clearly Julia was able to talk about the differences that we can't treat the continent of Africa as one, you know, it's not homogeneous. Yeah, of course, it's such a huge place. <laughs> yeah, Julia talks about how she works across different countries in Africa in really different contexts. And, you know, I think that that is something that we can't really highlight enough to say that we talk about African context. And that's just sort of so weird to say because there is no such thing as one African context. And that's obviously really important to bear in mind all the time when we're talking about this. And as well, Julia coming from, you know, a European background and then sort of now working in different countries across Africa. She has a, a specific lens on this as well that some of our other guests who are born and raised in the region where they are now working have a sort of different view of it too. So there's all these different important things to note when we're thinking about the conversations that we have together on this season. Yeah, yeah, that's it, exactly. And the story of Foodwise itself and Julia's work is also what I was thinking as she was talking in that in our discussion, how perfectly she picks out what I think some of the, or she, sorry, she demonstrates, how perfectly she demonstrates some of the key things that I think are important for uh, circular thinking, circular, circular economy. So looking at the system as a whole get, and not making things more complicated than they need to be and causing problems when you're trying to causing problems when you're, when you're trying to solve one problem really getting involved with people and the social aspect as well as the material flows in this case food i just thought it was really brilliant yeah i was really impressed by that as well the sort of complete from start to finish we are working in a system how is that system affected by the fact that we're inserting ourselves into it and how can we do that in a way that is impactful positively and not negatively. I was really impressed by that too. And so without further ado, let's meet Julia. Thanks for inviting me and for being interested in Foodwise. Yeah, my name is Julia. I'm German, so this is where the accent is coming from. <laughs> and I'm currently based in Ivory Coast and co-created Foodwise in Mauritius Island, in Morocco, in Ivory Coast, and in Madagascar. Awesome. Thank you so much. Welcome to Happy Porch Radio. Thank you. So I'm interested in your own story about how you ended up <laughs> in these countries doing this work. But let's start at the beginning, I guess. What exactly, for the listener, can you sort of say, what exactly is Foodwise and what do you do? So Foodwise is a social enterprise fighting food waste and food insecurities for children. So basically what we're doing is we connect the food industry, which means, for example, supermarkets, restaurants, suppliers, but also cooperatives of agricultures with um, what we so-called food receivers. Food receivers are the charities taking care of children in need. 
So this could be like an orphanage, a school, an NGO, a daycare center. And the third party working with us is food transporter. So delivery services and other. And basically what we're doing is we really, really inside the circular economy, using the most of the resources of these three actors by connecting the surplus food from the food donor to the food receiver without creating additional carbon and without uh, creating additional costs. One of my favorite parts on your website, you have these big numbers of the sort of kilograms of food saved, meals distributed, two and a half million, is that? So it looks like, I can't imagine, I mean, it's such a big impact in the work you're doing. Can you tell us a little bit about, or I'm really interested in anyway, (laughs) in the history of like, where did it start? How did you end up in the position where you're, you know, co-creating, as you just said, this social enterprise in two or three different countries? Well, <laughs> it wasn't planned. Actually, I left. <laughs> Actually, I left my country after studies in order to do like a voluntary year with a vision to go like to three countries, to three different NGOs in the developing world. And basically, I didn't have anything secured one month before I wanted to leave. So I actually sent a standard mail like to the whole world, (laughs) changing the name of the NGO and the name of the responsible person. And it's like this that I ended up in Mauritius because they were really quick in answering me. So uh, two weeks later, I arrived there and I I told myself, okay, I will stay two and a half months and then I will go back, Uh, go to the next country. And actually... um, when I was there, I started because I was working for a food sharing um, organization in Germany before, because I got really interested into the subject uh, back at home through my mom. And so when I was in Mauritius, I finally ended up staying <laughs> a year and then going to Madagascar and Ivory Coast and so on, because we just uh, I just started to knock on the doors of hotels, of NGOs, I, I even asked ministries and yeah, and like like this little by little, I, I the project created. At the time, it was under another name and with another co-founder. So uh, yeah, it has been already six years now. <laughs> the first version of Foodwise was six years ago. Wow. So there's so many things in a story like you've just shared there. Was it difficult at the start? You talked about sort of literally going around and knocking on doors. Was it difficult? Did you feel like you were sort of pushing uphill or did you always feel like, you know, this is going to work? There's going to be something here? I think I was always thinking this was going to be work one day. I I think it's the first thing when you start a project, you need to be convinced at least yourself because of that. (laughs) This would never work out, but there were definitely a lot of obstacles. For example, in Mauritius, I remember at the time, the government was saying that there is no poverty, that there is no food waste because they were positioning themselves as a paradise island for uh, luxury tourism. Yeah, it didn't work out in the picture, but today actually they changed a lot and I I think we were one of the organizations planting the first seeds to go in this uh, direction because today they are really into circular economy. They even with the team uh, Food Waste Mauritius, they're even working on anti-food waste laws and so on. So I think they, it's always complicated in the, also in the other countries where I grow up, project like in Madagascar, 
we were often the first into the field of food waste because in, in Europe, food waste is really a subject which is well known in, in America as well. And I think in Africa, we don't talk about food waste because there's unfortunately still like an image of, oh, yeah, poor Africa, sh we should help, which is not true. <laughs> Basically, first, we can't talk about Africa. It's like we can't talk about Europe. There are so many different countries and different cultures. And secondly, it's a really rich continent with uh, so many dynamics going on. And so you have also luxury, you also have hotels, you also have supermarkets, you also have a good income society. And so you also have waste because mainly we talk in, in Africa about food loss, which is more on the foster cause, so the agriculture part of the food supply chain. But there's actually also this food waste that people didn't talk about. And I think this is what it made really difficult for us to actually start the project because you need to do this whole <laughs> campaign about sensitizing people about the subject, which seems so innovative for the countries where we were. But at the same time, it is not because it's existing elsewhere. So I think this was the biggest challenge <laughs> to launch it. Mm. Yeah, that's such an interesting story, Julia. Thank you for sharing that. I Especially what struck me, as you said at the beginning, that originally in Mauritius, you were having trouble sort of getting the idea to take off because they were sort of the, I guess, authorities. I don't really know who was telling that story, but the story was that they are a luxury location for holidaymakers and that food waste and poverty were just not a thing. That's so interesting that there was this complete sort of, I guess, denial of the problem really. And then as you went on to say that culturally it's quite a difficult switch to make because in certain regions that is a real lack of food and then to the idea that there's food waste as well is actually quite a difficult thing to sort of swallow. I'm interested to know, Julia, like coming from Germany, as you say, and, and sort of working in that different context, how did you approach that? What was your process there? <laughs> Sorry, I'm not sure if I get the question. How did I approach what this difficulty and in, in that the politics weren't ready or culture-wise? I think culturally, I'm just really interested in this. I have grown up in Europe. I've lived my whole life in Europe. And I have always understood that waste is a big part of our system, waste in sort of many different forms. And the idea that we would deny that seems, I don't know, almost impossible in some ways from where I stand in my context. So I'm just really interested to hear more about your journey of sort of, yeah, getting into that more in a different context and I suppose what you learned and how you dealt with that. Okay, thanks. Now I get it. <laughs> I think it depends also on every country where I've been. For example, Madagascar, which is one of the first poorest country in the world, so uh, basically recycling is something which maybe the word is not often used, but it's like so deeply culturally rooted because there are so many things which are not on excess. So it's really not a capital capitalistic society. So there's actually a lot of recycling 
being done on every corner of the street. So, for example, the plastic bottles are collected informally to reuse for other purposes, to resell other, other kinds of products. And same for plastic bags and so on. And then you have other cultures like now where I'm in Ivory Coast, which is a really developed country. So waste can also happening on a consumer level because there's a really rich society and it's a new rich society. So we're not sensitized a lot about waste as we are, for example, in Europe, where we already have passed this stage of development or in Madagascar, where we know the importance of every grain of rice because all the grandfathers of every family is the rice agriculture. So every society is different and so is the waste which we have in the state of sensitization. And also regarding the work of food waste, which changes is, for example, in Mauritius, we started a lot with hotels. And then when I launched a project in Madagascar, I was starting to work more on on supermarkets and on groceries because I realized that there are no those huge luxury hotels with the the buffets and the all-inclusive concept. It's not existing because tourism is not that developed than in in Mauritius. And then coming to Abidjan uh, and Ivory Coast, I realized that even restaurants and even bakeries, they are so huge bakeries that even they can be really, really interesting for the project. And then my colleague who, who developed the project in Morocco also sees uh, the same tourism site in Mauritius combined with a grocery market, which is also interesting. So I think every economy, every population has like the key actors in the food industry work with us, where we have to focus on, where we see where the most waste generating. And then the state of sensitization can be really different in in every culture but also we learn a lot from every culture often there are recipes for example in every country which already practice the zero waste kitchen where things are reused it's just not named like it so it's really interesting also to to share between the different cultures we we work with and yeah the aim is really and which is one of our values is a lot of sharing and understanding learning and yeah, trying to make the best of what is already existing on our, our planet. Thank you, Julia. Yeah, that's something that Barry and I have come across a little bit in this season is this idea that, you know, something that we might see as a new trend in the UK or sort of growing, yeah, growing industry of circularity and recycling or zero waste, as you say, in a lot of places across Africa but not just across Africa and many other parts of the world it's kind of just a way of life because it's a necessary use of resources and there isn't that sort of more wasteful mindset that a more that sort of hyper consumerist society that we live in is based around I love this idea that you're sort of just finding wherever the food waste is (laughs) you know you said in different countries you're finding that it's you know linked to the tourism industry whether that's like through luxury hotels or whatever and and in some places it's linked more to uh, supermarkets and bakeries and things and so could you tell us a bit more like maybe give us an example of in one of these places of 
what FoodWise actually does and how it helps to mitigate the food waste problem? Good question. Yeah, I think I, I didn't really explain what we do. I said just like the subject we're working on. So basically, uh, I can start, for example, with a food business like a hotel who wants to join the movement and reduce food waste via food distribution. So once we did the onboarding parts, all the legal documents, all the food safety documents and so on, we will look for a charity which is in their area and which actually fit to the food donor regarding, for example, the quantity of food that it is enough for the number of beneficiaries in one orphanage or the type of food. So if the children are really young, we should not connect them for example, to a hotel because the food will be really diverse. Maybe there will be spices and so on. The same for if there are products which must be refrigerated. Uh, so we need to check on the NGO's capacity to actually stock this food correctly. And then there can be also other reasons like religion or allergies to not receive certain foods. So when we found a perfect match between a food donor and a food receiver, then we also look into the food transporter. So the food transporter can be either a transport company like DHL, which supports us a lot in, in Madagascar. It can be also a delivery company like Glovo that we're working here in, in Abidjan with. But it can also be a supplier of the food donor itself. So imagine a hotel that gets food delivered from a, a local grocery. So when they actually deliver the food, they have a free space in the vehicle. We coordinate before at what date, what time and who's in charge of to actually get the surplus food that has been stored uh, in the meantime so that the food transporter can pick it up. And we look also in advance into the daily routing how you say this, <laughs> just the daily routes, yeah, the pickup routes that they have. So often the suppliers have to deliver several hotels or several supermarkets. So we can check if they're in orphanages, in orphanage or an NGO or a school, which is on their way. So then there's no real costs included in picking it up and delivering it to the NGO. And neither there's extra carbon emission produced because the vehicle would be anyway going on this road. And once it arrives at the food receiver place, they already have a place there on the team. They have a kitchen to prepare the food. And it's like this that we manage to get a surplus food from a food donor until the plate of a child without really creating any additional costs or any additional carbon and by respecting everything which is food quantity versus food um, number of food beneficiaries taking care of food hygiene regulation and also um, everything which is legal protection for the companies transport company and the food business but also the NGO itself yeah I think we started this low-cost system because what we were seeing and with my team and what is existing in Europe and America are food banks that are often more like the food which is distributed sometimes costs more. I want to say the whole system of the food banks or the distribution the employees, the, the stock and everything often costs more than the food saved. And for us, this was quite illogical. So why 
if the whole logistical chain costs more than the food we save, why should we do this? And buying food actually is not the solution because we know there's one third of the world food production, which is wasted and which can actually feed everyone or all the population suffering from hunger today. So, um, yeah, we came up with this idea to try to connect those three types of actors, the food business, the transporter and the NGO, and make the most of all the resources that they already have. So, for example, the staff at the food donor can package, the transporter who can just pick up the food on the daily route, and the NGO who has the kitchen and the staff to prepare the food. And it's like this, yeah, the initial project started. <laughs> hmm. That's incredibly powerful. And yeah, powerful is the word I can think of it because you're sort of working as you, on the ground with the real, like trying to not to be able to do something like that without adding extra or overly adding extra costs or, or carbon is oh, just powerful. That's what all I can think of. It's, it's very inspirational. I also really emphasize what you're saying there. I think very often, and this is very relevant to why we're doing this season of the of the podcast, working in sort of tech in Europe or in the UK, as we do, as I do, is it can very often feel like, you know, hey, the solution is a new layer on top, you know, a new piece of technology, or like you say, the food banks where maybe we're adding this whole new infrastructure process on top of the existing one, because we need to redistribute the food and it has, without looking at it in, in the system that it's in, and it has these other unintended consequences. Exactly like you say, if it costs more, why that's just not, that doesn't make sense. So I'm really inspired by what you're describing there. Is it difficult, Julia, to, you, you described, you said like the thing that you're doing is is finding the perfect matches and and then solving some of the things like the legal protections and the food safety and making sure that the right food goes to the right NGOs. Is it difficult to get those boxes ticked, like the things like the legal and the food safety things? Is that really the sort of biggest challenge or is there something else that is the challenge in, all, in gluing all that together of what you just described? Good question. <laughs> I think the legal aspect and the food safety aspect is easier actually because it's standards. These are documents that we have, we have standard process. So uh, this is okay, but it's the logistical part, like really the matching process of the three actors, which is the most complicated. And when you are talking about in Europe that we talk about tech innovation, and that's actually really important also for us. Like for now, we we did all this offline, but we are planning to digitalize our food sharing system because it's really important to have the data and transparent in real time to have uh, yeah, a tracking system of everything what is going on and an algorithm with can, which can do the work which we do uh, offline. And also because... Yeah, it will already automate what we do today, which means that we could actually replicate it quicker into other countries. And on the other side, also, as I said, at the really beginning, we aim to be a social business. But for today, for now, we are actually just, uh, we just have the social part and step by step developing the business part, which would be a marketplace. It's like too good to go that you might know in, in Europe where we can also buy surplus food as a as a consumer at home and like this our social and environmental mission and the food sharing system distribute the food to the children will be sustained and auto financed because even if the logistical chain is for free 
there are still still people working behind it. There are still communications to do. There are still a lot of other works around which involve costs. And so we decided that actually the perfect model for us would be to be a social business and to have one revenue stream or several revenue streams that then can auto-finance our social part and to be really independent and not, yeah, <laughs> not looking for investors all the time and funds. And I don't know if you really know this area of like the NGO world, but basically you have to, to get fundings. You often have to maybe change a little bit your direction. You lose a lot of time and writing proposals instead of being on the ground and doing the thing you know the best. And I think it's a, it's a good way that we're going into this direction to be really in line with what the strategy, in line with what we wanted to create and the vision and the strategy we have. So really looking forward to launching it. <laughs> <laughs> That's very exciting, yes. And I definitely fully understand what you mean about in terms of from an NGO or a charitable point of view where finding the funding is a whole job or several jobs in itself. So interesting, going back to your point about digitization and looking to sort of, you mentioned things like being able to scale out to different places and, and other countries and so on. But you also mentioned things like being able to have visibility on the data in real time or near real time and those kinds of things. What I really like, though, is that you haven't started. <laughs> I'm a technologist and I always say the last thing you want to do is start writing code. But you, first of all, you you know, doing the work. So you really understand, or maybe this is my question is, do you feel like you've got to the point because you've been doing the work, as you say, offline or, or in some whatever processes, that now that you have, that you really understand what you would need the tech, the digitization, what you need the technology to do for you? Definitely. For the social part, <laughs> for the business <laughs> part, <laughs> it's a more new thing because it means like, uh, yeah, we did our market study, potential consumer and so on, our business as well. But yeah, we're launching an MVP in November really to test and to be sure that this is working. But for the social part, there is no doubt. <laughs> we know what we do. We know uh, what we need. But the aim is to to build up the boats at the same time in one one platform only. And yeah, I didn't. I don't know how to code. <laughs> and I've been in touch with a lot of IT companies in this few weeks and this past few weeks. And yeah, I think I wish I, I would knew, <laughs> but it seems to be quite hard, like really um, chapeau to everyone who is into coding. Really, really good job. <laughs> <laughs> so we've caught you right in the crunch time where you're pulling that process together. That's interesting. But it's incredibly powerful position when you're in, when you're able to say, you know, we really understand the impact we're having and how to do it. And we have this other side of the business, as you described. Uh, Too Good To Go, I know for anybody who's listening, particularly in Europe and the UK, check out Too Good To Go. It's a lot of fun. So I can completely see that attraction. I'd just like to add, Julia, I think it's really admirable what you say about finding a way to do it where there isn't increased impact because it's really hard. <laughs> but it's exactly true what you said that, you know, are we actually saving anything if when we're trying to distribute this food that's been wasted, we're just creating more logistics and more carbon and more costs. So yeah, I think that's really admirable to not create more problems in, in solving a problem, because sometimes that's sort of 
an easy trap to fall into. Definitely. Also the packaging, for example, we use reusable boxes like Tupperware. I don't know if maybe it's really German to use this word, but you know, this reusable food yeah. boxes or containers, right? Because we would package it in just a plastic bag or a plastic, not reusable box. Then, so why we save food if we would create plastic? <laughs> it just don't make sense. I don't know. I think um, this all is a fight also against climate change. And so food waste is contributing. It's actually the first contributor to climate change before plastic. And plastic is also contributed to climate change. So if we stop food waste but increase plastic waste, <laughs> this would be weird. <laughs> yeah, and that integrity of sort of holding the reason why you're doing this at the center of the decision making. I think that's so important for so many of these things that these solutions that we're talking about in this transition to a circular economy, it is really difficult because you have so many considerations and nuances and stuff to think about. It's not just, oh, I'm going to solve this one problem. You know, as soon as you start talking about what Foodwise is actually at the beginning of this discussion, you mentioned that you work with people who are producing more food than they know what to do with, people who need food and are looking for the suppliers and the transport companies. And immediately my thought was, oh, okay, good. <laughs> you know, there's a systemic understanding. Like you have that overview, your role that you've placed yourself in, that you've placed Foodwise in is one of having that overview of the system and everything you've said since then really complements that to say yeah we are also really aware of our footprint carbon wise and cost wise and everything it all is very just speaks to how respectful you are of the whole system that you're working in yeah I think it's a super important way to go about this and finding solutions Thank you. Yeah, definitely. We, we try to be facilitator. We never really have the food in our hands. Sometimes it can arrive and it's actually also what volunteers actually love the most because I think what things everyone we do that we have like the food every day in our hand. But also we try to really optimize the system so that it works without us. So really connecting those trees actors to co-create to it's also like kind of creating social uh, local synergies between between the companies and the NGOs because often they do not even know the environment so for example which is really funny in in Ivory Coast so we work with Globo which is like yeah new it's a Spanish company actually I don't know if you have it in the UK something like Deliveroo Uber Eats and so on and so when the delivery person is, there are a lot of delivery person which are independent, which are not actually employed direct by Global, but they are so, they love so much going to the NGOs and seeing the kids that sometimes, even if they don't have a delivery to do, <laughs> they just come in and hang out with the children or they bring their own little thing. So uh, it's really cool to learn about stories like this, which creates inside those communities. And I think this is also where we want to go through, like uh, connecting people in the same community. Yeah, knowing what's going on around us and yeah, creating synergies. That's a really nice story. 
can I ask? I know Barry's going to tell me we don't have any time left soon, <laughs> but I just wanted to ask you a sort of, this is like a bit of a thought experiment really, because I don't know if this is a realistic thing to consider. Your logistical solution is solving two problems here, really. The one of overproduction of food and the other one of lack of access to food. From your understanding of the system, the systems in which you work in various locations, is it too much to imagine like a world where both of those problems no longer exist at all? Where the overproduction of food is just manage that people aren't in vast quantities oversupplying and then on the other hand food is available to all that food justice is there for everyone i really like your question <laughs> because it's a little bit like the vision where we where we want to go towards to and i think it's really important to talk about it because It's exactly what we're doing today is like recycling. So recycling for us, it's not the solution. So food sharing or redistributing surplus food is not the solution. The solution is really to go beyond this and really ending like this overproduction and ending the fact that there are people not having enough food. So really going towards a sustainable food system where we produce less, where we produce food then which is higher quality, which respects the environment and the human beings behind, and which is distributed in a way that it's smart and local so that everyone can have access to food, but also to quality food. And of course, the sustainable food system where there's no waste. And I think it is really possible because we have the numbers. So as I said before, There are 30% of the food production which is wasted and which can actually feed not only one time all the people suffering from hunger, but actually four times. So that means we really, really have a lot. And so we produce also food which is not uh, actually at a good quality and not nutritious. And I think it takes a lot of actors and definitely not just us, but they are already outside in the world in a lot of countries different regions, people, organization, companies, working on food waste, working on food transformation, also a new project which we are starting to look into. How can we go into food loss and transform surplus food into value-added products which, which then have a longer shelf life and which can create jobs, especially for women or for young people. So young people which can come from the company like which can come from the food receiver places we work with in the food sharing component of our project and i think we just do our bit to this whole big vision of a world where there is no waste and where everyone has food access and quality food access but it needs everyone to do its part because food waste is at home also, not only at the bakery, at the supermarket, at um, the export, it's also at our place, it's in our schools, in our offices. I think if everyone does a little move and if also politics goes into the direction of doing the right laws and incentives for people and for businesses to 
to reduce food waste. And if we understand, I think this is also a thing important, if we understand actually the value that we're wasting, because it means money, food wasted means money wasted, energy wasted, human resources and labor wasted, water wasted, fertile land wasted. So if we understand this and if we give it the value that it has, we would not throw it away as we would not throw away uh, our money into a trash, which never ever would think of. So <laughs> I think it's possible. It takes a time and it takes a lot of different actors of the ecosystems of our world to make this happen. But factual in terms of number, it is feasible. It's the only world problem which is actually resolvable. Brilliant. Thanks to Emmy. was right. I was about to say I ran out of time, but I'm really glad you asked that question. <laughs> <laughs> so there's so much more that we could discuss there, but unfortunately we are out of time. But just finally, for people who, listeners who want to find out more about you and the work you're doing, including the Foodwise and in different countries and including some of the stuff you just mentioned, two questions. One, where should they go? And if you had a request or a question for people what would that be so where to find us <laughs> good that you say this is uh, yeah our websites so the main website in Mauritius is foodwise.io but you have mg ma and ce but in the new three countries so morocco madagascar and ivory coast we are rebranding actually this month to a new brand to also show a little bit this transformation to a more social business, to more digitalization, the marketplace and so on, which will be B, which is B-E-E, and it will be www.earth. And of course, we are available on the social media from YouTube, Facebook to LinkedIn and one last question to the audience. So uh, I think is to think of like to everyone's self, to question themselves what they are wasting today and what they think they could do on their own. Maybe also if you want to dig even deeper, <laughs> yeah, look at your neighboring bakery shop, asking them what they do with this. And I think in, there are so many, especially so many small communities, when we look into cities there, in Europe especially, there are so many solutions from Too Good To Go, Phoenix, Karma, food banks, and so on. But when we go to villages, I don't know if someone out there might be more in the countryside, sometimes there are no solution in those areas. And it, it would be cool. Just start your own thing, go to the local supermarket, bakery, restaurant and ask them what they're doing with it. Then maybe find another NGO close by who can use it or maybe just uh, share it to you, to your neighbors. Make sure it get used or transform it into new products like cookies, whatever. There are so many solutions and yeah, either start at home or look into your community there are a lot of benefits which can come out of it and it definitely will make you happy. Doing something good always makes happy. <laughs> this is for sure. So thanks a lot, Barry and Emily, for having me. It was a pleasure talking to you, sharing to you. Thanks for your really nice question. Thanks for, for the visibility and the sharing that you give to us. 
Thank you, Julia. That's really great. And if all those links, as usual, we'll put them on happyporchradio.com on the episode page for this and season six. Thank you, Julia. That was an awesome conversation. Really appreciate your time. Thank you. Bye. Thank you, Julia. Thanks for listening to this episode of Happy Porch Radio. Hope you enjoyed it. You can hear more of our episodes at happyporchradio.com. You can also get in touch with us there. Let us know what you think. Let us know if you have any ideas or if you want to talk to us about something. We'd also love it if you can share these podcasts, review, rate, tell your pals, tell your neighbors, tell everyone. Tell your dog. Tell your dog. (laughs) Listen along with the whole family. And my name's Barry and I founded HappyPorch.com and Happy Porch fund and support the podcast. At Happy Porch, we do technology and software development for purpose-led businesses. And we are particularly excited about the role of digital as an enabler for the circular economy. So if you're working on solutions to the big problems we face today, problems like climate change and biodiversity loss and global inequality, then let's connect. Visit HappyPorch.com and get in touch. And my name's Emily and I am a coach facilitator and a podcaster my projects focus on personal development innovation for a better world and connecting with nature my latest podcasting adventure alongside happy porch radio is exploring the world of carbon removal find out more about this and everything that i do at emilyswaddle.com or you can get in touch with me at hello at emilyswaddle.com <laughs>